Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. GLG, celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the first serve. It is your home of tennis. Brett Phillips uh, back with you for another week. Well, uh, many said it couldn't happen, but the USTA, they pulled it off. A unique fortnight at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre that at one stage in 2020 was a makeshift hospital as the COVID-19 pandemic engulfed New York. Many of the top players, including our very own world number one Ash Barty, turned down the invitation to fly to the US Open bubble. Many saying this year's US Open with big names missing, Federer, Nadal, Vavrinka, Monfils on the men's side and six of the top ten women would have an asterisk next to the champions. Well, not for me. It's a grand slam. You still have to win seven matches in two weeks. There was plenty of great competition on both sides despite some notable players missing. There was the intensity of a grand slam at court level playing for high stakes despite not having the electric, pulsating New York crowds. At the end of it all, two champions. Naomi Osaka for a second time at the US Open in three years and her third overall Grand Slam trophy. And Dominic Team, fourth time lucky. And boy, when all seemed down and out, he kept raising his game to a level that sets him apart from his generation contemporaries underneath the 30s trio Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. Wasn't it good just to have some Grand Slam tennis back? Soon we'll have another one, the French Open, just a fortnight away. But let us stay in New York as we wrap up the fortnight. USTA CEO Mike Douse with the first word. We really established some guiding principles at the beginning. And the first one was, could we do it in a healthy and safe way for everyone? And that included you know, the players, the staff, and, and even the local community here in New York. Uh, the, the second guiding principle was, is this good for the sport of tennis? Will it reignite our industry and the broader tennis ecosystem? And then the third question is, frankly, did it make financial sense? Uh, and that included for the players and, and for the USTA and, again, the broader tennis ecosystem. So as we went through this journey starting in mid-March, you know, we couldn't say yes at all times against those three guiding principles. But on June 16th, we said yes We, you know, with this uh, formula we put together, which included the Western and Southern, which at the time was a crazy idea, moving Cincinnati to New York, and now it seems very common. By combining those these two tournaments together, on June 16th, we said, yes, we can check all three of those boxes. And we continued to hold ourselves to those standards all the way, frankly, through to today. And uh, at the end, we reflect back and say, yes, it's, it's safe. It's been good for tennis. And it's financially been good for the players and, and the tennis ecosystem. The takeaways from this year's US Open. Mike Douse again, followed by tournament director Stacey Allister. I think my big takeaway has been the collaboration. Again, it started back in March and Everyone was involved with this decision-making process. We had weekly calls with uh, our peers at the Grand Slam board, so we've shared best practices uh, with them, specifically Roland Garros, who's starting in a few weeks. Uh, again, we had weekly calls with the ATP, the WTA, uh, the ITF, and then you think about uh, all the government entities that were involved. You know, it started at the federal level with us. Uh, we even had international diplomacy as we, as we had to work to get players in and out of the country. And then at the local, state, uh, city, and county levels, 
the key was was constant contact. Uh, and that even goes to our partnerships and our sponsors, uh, having uh, full alignment with them to go through something that none of us had ever been through and it was completely new. But there, that way we were all on the same page. And I think uh, we all know that tennis has been a little fractured in the past. And this was a great moment where tennis came together. And I think we can all learn from that and continue to strive to work together going forward. Having been in the operations of it, it really, I think, uh, these four weeks have been able to demonstrate to the world how our sport can return to play safely. Uh, I am uh, enjoying watching Istanbul be played, Kitzbühel. Uh, Rome has started. And the journey for the athletes, for their support teams, for the federations and the tournament organizers that we're partners with within the sport, this has been a blueprint to show uh, everyone involved with our sport, how we can return to play during this global pandemic. And uh, we know that here we have made one commitment to everyone, that this would be a safe U.S. Open. On this championship Sunday, we are closing down this very historic moment for our sport here in New York City with uh, a very healthy and safe U.S. Open, and everyone now is leaving and carrying on in our sport. And that, I think, is the other big takeaway for us. We're back. Uh, New York rallied, the U.S. Open rallied, and uh, everyone in our sport now gets a chance to continue on uh, with a little bit of knowledge uh, that they have all uh, experienced here uh, during their time in New York. On court, as I've mentioned, the two winners. Dominic Team, the first Austrian to win a major since Thomas Wooster at Roland Garros in 1995. Fourth time lucky in five sets over Alexander Zverev, coming from two sets to love down. Well, when I first realised that uh, maybe one day I could really win a major, it was when I first broke into the semis of Roland Garros, when I broke into top 10, and from that moment on I dreamed about it and I thought that it's uh, maybe realistic and back then I thought that my biggest chances by far are on clay but uh, then the end of last year <clears throat> somehow changed a lot of things when I won Beijing when I won Vienna when I played that great uh, Nito ATP finals then I realized that my game is suiting the hard court really well and uh, of course since since I'm working with Nico we improved my game on hard court a lot it also changed my mind that many shots are working great on that surface so uh, I think my best major until now US Open I played in Australia so now it's not for me that big surprise anymore that it's not the French but at the end it doesn't matter to me I mean main thing is that I that I have one of these four now I achieved a, a life goal and a dream of myself which I had for many many years of course as a kid as well when I started to play tennis but back then it's it's so far away and then uh, I got closer and closer to the top and at one point I realized that wow maybe one day I can really win one of the four biggest titles in tennis and I put a lot of work in I mean I dedicated basically my whole life until this point to to win one of the four majors and now I did it so that's also for myself a, a great accomplishment and I mean it's it's by far not only myself it's an accomplishment uh, from from all my team, from all my family, and I guess also that today is is the day where I gave back a huge amount of what they did for me. And Naomi Osaka, now a three-time Grand Slam champion, claiming a second U.S. Open in three years, coming from a set down 
to defeat the two-time Grand Slam champion Victoria Azarenka. Yeah, I feel like definitely there were a lot of hard times, especially being in the bubble. You sort of overthink a lot of things, but I think I just got through it because during quarantine, I wanted to, you know, set myself up to possibly win this tournament. And I felt like I just worked so hard. I wanted to give myself an opportunity and um, I wanted more people to see, you know, more names. For me, I don't really remember all the three set matches that I've played but you know I know that this one's really tough mentally um, because it is the finals of a slam and I know in the third set I lost my serve and I think you could see that I was very nervous but um, I'm glad I was able to finish it out and I'm really not sure what ranking it is but I would just say like my competitiveness of course I'm very competitive it's something that I've had since I was younger yeah I mean I was thinking about all the times I've watched the great players sort of collapse onto the ground and look up in the sky, and I've always wanted to see what they saw. And for me, you know, it was it was really an incredible moment. You know, I'm really glad I did it. I mean, this one feels different overall because of the circumstances I'm under. Um, I wasn't in a bubble last time, um, and there were no, like, there were a lot of fans last time. But, yeah, I feel like, you know, in the end, all I focus is what I can control on the tennis court. And that's what I did last time. And I feel like that's what I did this time. Yeah, I did think about wearing a mask during the trophy ceremony, but um, they said not to wear a mask. So I just did what they told me to do. And French Open, I am I was planning to play when I you know, came here, but I guess I'll see what happens. Well, it's great to have Tennis Direct on board. Australia's favourite online tennis store, fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. You need to visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au right now. First serve listeners can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. You can keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website. That is the thefirstserve.com.au. You can go back and listen to all our past live shows. Our podcast going beautifully. They're pumped out weekly. Aussies only. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle. Produced by Study and Play USA. Speaking of crunching the numbers, after the break, Mark Safoulis and Shane Leonage are going to step onto our show to give us their analysis from a coaching and a data perspective of what they've seen over the last fortnight. All thanks to Top Agents Real Estate servicing all of Melbourne. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell, have their property investment managed, make contact with David and his team. Their number, 95584599 or top-agents.com.au. The first serve on a Monday night. The first serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com Welcome back to The First Serve. Brett Phillips with you. Our main focus on wrapping up the 2020 US Open. So I thought I'd call in our Crunching the Numbers podcast team to dissect today's men's final and Naomi Osaka's win. High performance coach Mark Safoulis from the Tennis Menu and data analyst Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics have been presenting our Crunching the Numbers podcast all year. You can subscribe to The First Serve via your preferred podcast provider. You can listen back to their podcasts throughout 2020. You can also find them on our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Head to the Crunching the Numbers podcast page. Mark with his coaching eye and Shane with an eye for the numbers and the data. It was interesting before the match started. I really felt Dominic Team was the player that was going to be the hardest to beat on on you know the the day and 
Um, I didn't feel as Vera had played his best tennis throughout the whole tournament. And that was kind of the feel I had walking in. And to see what Zverev did in that first two sets where he played up the court, he played aggressive, he took time away from, from Dominic team. His net approaches, I think it was 66 in the end for the match. You know, Zverev would not have been in the net 66 times in his career, let alone in one match. And that's what I've been finding is like, he's just pulled that out and thought, you know what, to beat Dominic team, I've got to take his time away. I've got to take his space away. And he did that for two sets. And, you know, the, the big thing with Vera has always been his mindset. And that's probably what lost it in the end for him was he just couldn't continue to stay aggressive and stay up the court. And, you know, he almost felt like, hang on a second, I'm in a position to win this and went back to reverting to what he had done previously in, in previous matches. And Dominic team saw the, the opportunity and, you know, you don't need to give, a good player, more than one opportunity because they'll take it. And what an incredible match it was, you know, sitting sitting at home up from 6am this morning and watching the whole match was, you know, so many ebbs and flows, but it was an amazing match to watch. Incredible, wasn't it? I mean, it would, it would have topped it off to have 23,000 raucous New Yorkers on site, but not to be. Shane, it's great to have you here. Mark just refers to you as the numbers man and you are. This is what you live and breathe. What did your eye tell you about the final today? I know you probably had a little opportunity to crunch some of the numbers and we'll go through the rest of the tournament, but what did you take out of the final today? Yeah, I think firstly, um, similar to, to Mark, I, I felt um, Dominic had been playing the better tennis and, um, and and was probably was was definitely the favourite going in, um, but uh, but I, I do recall a number of times as Zverev um, in a number of finals, the Rome Madrid, um, uh, the ATP finals a couple of years ago, where he's he's looked shaky early and he's just managed to get it together for one or two matches right at the end. So always felt that there'd be a challenge from uh, Alexander and 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 certainly the first two sets um, <laughs> you saw that and 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 if I could. From a data perspective, I actually thought there was three matches, really. There was from set one to maybe the midway point in the second set or towards the end of it. And then from that point on till the end of set four, there was another match. And then the fifth set was just something incredible. Um, so in terms of some of the numbers, the first set, uh, Zverev um, was serving five kilometres faster on average than he did in that um, semi-final in the Australian Open. And I think that helped him um, get up the court and get to the net, as Mark sort of touched on a bit more. Um, There's some interesting stats from the IBM. Uh, he was serving uh, the T-serve um, at 218 on average, uh, and he won nine from nine points in that sort of set and a half, basically. And, and they were keys, and, and that flipped um, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, firstly, I think the dominance that Zverev was having was a lot to do with the fact that he was so comfortable every time he stepped to the line because team was having so much trouble getting his first serve in. He was, he was down at, uh, I think, 35% of first serves going into play at the start and, and he was only winning 28% of second serves. So I think Zverev was just comfortable when he got to the line that, um, that he knew team was struggling. And, and the moment team sort of turned that around, it became a bit more of a struggle. Absolutely. I, I want to talk about the Zverev serve. If you break it down, I mean, you guys can look into it and dissect it technically. In the end, I mean, you serve 15 double faults in a Grand Slam final. It haunts you down the stretch. I mean, when it's, when it's on, it looks magnificent. In the early part of the game, when that first serve is landing and he's getting the ball tossed right, it's, it's hard to get into his service games. And then he goes from that to just the yips where he, he can hardly get a, a serve of, you know, about halfway above the net, particularly on that second serve. I mean, just 
try and take me inside that. I mean, he would have been thinking about that after the game and he would know. I mean, that's the area that can either set him apart or, or really let him down at, at crucial parts. We've seen it not only today, but across his young career. Yeah, absolutely. And when he's confident, it, it plays a big big part in what he can do. And if I can take you inside a coaching mind, so looking at him serve from the back of the court. So if I'm standing directly behind Zverev, the first serve ball toss needs to be at 12 o'clock, which is directly straight down and straight up. And then the second serve should be between 10 and 11 o'clock on a clock. Okay. So if you think of those two different ball tosses, that's what you should be looking at. Now he does it well on the first serve, but because his ball toss on the second serve is always at 12 o'clock as well, he can't get the spin that he needs to be able to get consistency on from a kick serve perspective or a, or a, a heavy top spin serve. The ball toss has to be at 10 o'clock to enable him to get from the bottom left of the ball to the top right of the ball. And the other thing with a second serve or a kick serve is that you need the ball to be coming down before you go up to strike it. If you're hitting the top of the ball, you cannot hit a kick serve. So they're the kind of things that happen with Zvera. So as he goes on in a match, he can only hit basically two first serves. That's all he can hit. If he starts to try and slow the, the ball down and kick it, he actually dumps the ball to the net because of the straightness of the ball toss. Now, that's where the inconsistency comes in. As you mentioned, when he starts to miss one or two, he starts to miss five or six or seven in a row. And that's his mindset playing, you know, obviously against him in that situation. So, you know, just seeing it from, from here and I'm not there and I can't tell if, we, if it's windy or, or what's happening there. Is there a light in his eyes and he's had to adjust his ball to us? But it seems to be a constant problem with him that he does get the yips and it's a big ball toss issue. And it's also an issue of not letting the ball come down on that second serve. Hence the reason he has to hit two first serves only due to the straightness of the ball toss. Interesting. Shane, how did you say? Yeah, from a numbers perspective, he's really interesting because when he broke onto the tour, um, and I'm thinking 2016 to, to maybe midway in 2018, that second serve, in terms of the numbers anyway, he was winning above 50%. So, But it's progressively got worse. And I think the first time I noticed that he was really struggling with it was probably the hard court, the US hard court season last year where he was throwing in, you know, 20 double faults a match basically. Um, and, and it's sort of carried on and, and he'd have some, some really good days, but uh, more often than not, he was hitting um, that, that tight, you know, 15, 20 double faults a match. Um, and one of the things I noticed looking back on it was more players are, are getting his second serve back into play. I think he, he was getting a lot of unreturned early in his career. Certainly in the last 18 months, more players just getting it back into play. And, and he's struggling with that. I'm not sure Mark will be able to tell you a bit more if there's been a technical adjustment in, in that time. But it's, he's struggling with more players getting it into play. Yeah, he definitely. There's, there's no doubt about it. I think um, you know, it's, a, it's one of those things where if he rolls a second serve in or hits a, a top spin or kick serve, it doesn't do anything off the court. So it's, it's a slicey kind of serve and, and the opponents have the ability to, to take away his time. Now, Zverev is a player that needs a bit of time on that forehand, especially. You know, if he doesn't have time to wind up, he's in a bit of trouble. And, uh, and you be the numbers, know the numbers probably on his forehand side, but that's where everyone tries to break him down is through the forehand wing. They get him to the backhand one ball and they get him moving to the forehand. Or alternatively, they drill the return straight at his forehand side. And I think that's what's also caused him he tried to probably go for more and this might have happened a year and a half ago he's tried to go for more straightened his ball toss up and now he can't revert back to hitting a kick serve and that's probably the the bit of i guess toing and froing he's going in his mind now 
in saying that, the guy was a couple of points away from winning a Grand Slam. Now, if he wins a Grand Slam, are we talking about it? Probably not. You know, so I think it's a real uh, interesting conversation of, you know, if it pays off and he's two first serves winning the tournament, we're probably allowing him to get away with what he's doing and then we focus on other areas. I want to talk about team. I, I think he's phenomenal. And I think I just said on SCN earlier today, he'd be the perfect guy for me, for our all our Australian players to go into like a camp with and just to watch him, to train with him, to pick his brains, to just spend time around this guy. And, and we're lucky, the three of us, you get to walk into corridors at the Grand Slams and tournaments where other people don't. So you see all the one percenters behind the scenes. So the attention to detail of his preparation, the way he trains, it's like in the Dale training session, the intensity with which he goes at. Here he is late in the match, is probably arguably the fittest guy, or right up there as one of the fittest guys on the tour, and he's having issues. And his ability to pull through that, that's just, for me, sets him apart above that chasing pack. I mean, we know the gap in the top 10. We know the gap between 10 and 20. We know the gap between 20 and 30, and so on and so on. I think Demon or team summed it up in that quarterfinal, the gap that Alex has got to try and bridge. But take me inside Dominic team. He's built as something that is hard to totally get your head around. I mean, unless you're right in the inner sanctum of his camp. But to pull through that when it seemed like it might go against him, try and tap into what his mind is like. It's a, it's a good point, BP, because at the end of the day, the champions are made of what, not what you're really good at. It's actually your worst tennis that you've marked the hardest on. So the, the best players have a small gap between their best and worst tennis. And you think of Rafa, you think of Roger, you think of Novak. They're great players. Why? Because their level never drops. And Dominic Team's the same. To beat Dominic Team, you have to beat him. You know, he's not going to just go out and beat himself. He's there for the long haul. You know, he was always going to try and draw that match out, even though he was sore, he was in pain, he was struggling to walk towards the end of the match. But it's like, and he's the kind of guy, as you said, you put him in a team environment, he's the guy that you want to latch onto because he just has the training habits, the work rate, the disciplines, the consistency in what he does. And just being around him and seeing him at the Australian Open, especially, like, he's just the ultimate professional. He's the no frills, nothing flashy, nothing fantastic about him. He just does his job. He does it well. He moves on. He does his recovery. And that's the, the best players in the world do that. And he is, and you can see it today, he had another gear. He had another gear. He was able to go up at the key moments. And no different to what Naomi Osaka did in that final. She had another gear to go to. The best players can take their level just above the player they're playing to make sure they get the win. And he did that today unbelievably well. In terms of the numbers as well, I think um, yeah, for some time, Dominic Team um, definitely the hardest hitter on both sides, really. Um, and he's got a lot of work on the forehand as well. But what he's done in... in probably the last 18 months is become uh, not only a clay court player uh, where he was, he was probably second to Nadal for a couple of years really on the clay, but he's just transitioned to being a great all court player. So uh, you've seen that. I think the first one where he really broke through, I think it was Indian Wells in the final beat Federer. And then he's just iteratively gotten better and better. And, and, he, and he's been the big guys on, on the quicker surfaces. So uh, that that's, as much to do with, I think, bringing in some new new, new people into his team and, and the hard work um, you see on social media. The guy, guy is incredible. Some of his training sessions uh, makes, me, makes me a bit tired just looking at it. So, yeah, I think uh, in terms of the, the numbers as well, um, today he, he's looking to uh, run around his forehand a lot more than he did 18 months ago on, on the hard court. And that, uh, Mark, will probably be able to, to tell you that, that there's a lot of work in terms of getting your footwork able to do that more consistently and more accurately. It's the patterns of play that he uses. And I feel like uh, today, you know, for whatever reason, he, I mean, he really wanted 
wanted to target the forehand of Zverev. So he would open up the backhand side and try and get around and use his forehand to go into that Zverev corner. And that was the, the footwork patterns you're talking about is it's a pattern of play to help him get the feet around. If he plays too much down the line or he, you know, it's actually really challenging to go forehand down the line and run around forehand. So he tried to keep it backhand cross court as long as he could and then step around it. And that was the kind of challenge that he had from a footwork perspective, but he did it really well. And he's done it really well this whole tournament. His forehand is an absolute weapon. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that the forehand, the, the, the way he lets it rip, and we know he's got the beautiful single-handed backhand, but the interesting use of the slice for team, towards the end of that match, he's probably struggling to push off his legs to really let that backhand rip, and he's gone the slice. But just tell us how he sort of has used that to his advantage. We even saw a little bit of the forehand slice at times from team, which we normally see him quite conventional backhand forehand, but testament to him in trying to develop his game more and more in the last few years is he's just added all these little sort of elements to match his firepower. Yeah, you're right, BP. The reason I feel as though he sliced today was he was actually tight. He actually got broken down so severely in those first two sets by Zverev coming forward and and going so hard into his backhand corner. He made so many backhand uh, passing shot errors in the first two sets that he almost lost so much confidence on it. And you could see by the sort of third and fourth sets, he was just chipping. He wanted to stay in the point a little bit. And um, and I felt like he just didn't want to let, let rip. He was hitting forehands short in the first two sets. He lost a lot of confidence. And I feel that was due to Zverev taking time away from him and actually making him and forcing him into error. Now, that's the mindset of the game. And I feel like Zverev did a great job in not only breaking him down and winning the first two sets, but he actually capitalized mindset-wise. Now, when he got the break in the third, this is where he needed to put the foot on the throat. And Zverev didn't do that early enough in the third set. It was really go, you know what? I've got you now and I'm going to keep coming at you. But he sort of went into his shell. And that's what allowed Dominic Team to gradually get his confidence back. He gradually came back up the court a little bit. He started to use the forehand a little bit more. Um, but he did still slice towards the end. I feel like that was a breakdown from Zverev early in the match. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting number that they threw. And I can't recall if it was um, the second set or early in the third. But it just showed uh, Dominic team was chipping returns, I think, 25% of the time in today's match. But he was doing that 55% in the, the Australian Open semi-final. So I think that helped him, like Mark said, sort of get into the point a bit more. Um, and, 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 and prevent these points from sort of finishing in two, three shots. So um, it, it helped. I think in the fifth set, he, he was definitely fatigued. I, I don't know if he, he carried some injury in from, from the semifinal. We know he had a heel issue there. But, um, yeah, in the end, it was uh, really... I think there was a serve uh, in, in that, I think, at 5-6, where Zverev, it barely got over the net. I, I don't know if it hit <laughs> 80 kilometres an hour. Into, and, uh, yeah, both just... We're done, really. He's a beast team, and he's uh, he's unbelievable to watch in full flight. And if it hadn't have been really for Novak, you would think in that Australian Open final, he's probably a two-time major champion this year. So before we move on to the women, just a quick summary of the US Open men's draw. What, what are a couple of things that have stood out across the fortnight? Anything from a numbers point of view, Shane? Just uh, any surprise packets on the... The men's tour, I mean, obviously the door opened up a little bit for some to progress a little bit deeper with no Federer and Nadal and obviously Djokovic exiting the tournament when he did. Uh, what, what did you take out of the last uh, fortnight, both of you? Yeah, I found it was an unbelievable tournament. I mean, for, for the USTA and, and, and the ATP, obviously from a men's side, to, to put this on the way they did, to make it safe for everyone, uh, to get through a tournament. I mean, who would have thought, uh, you know, with the numbers in America of COVID and the way that it was going, it looked like it was a non-existent event. 
But for them to get through this tournament, it was outstanding. I think, you know, from an Australian perspective, I'm going to be pretty selfish and say Jordan Thompson's effort was outstanding to get through to, you know, his, his career best of a fourth round. And obviously, Demonor getting through to a quarterfinal was was outstanding. But, you know, those were the two stories from an Australian perspective that we can sit back now and go, that was pretty cool. Just on Tomo, now I'm, I'm his biggest fan, Mark. I, I, I love how he goes about his tennis. And you know, we had him doing special comments with us during the Australian Open earlier this year. I was told you won't get much out of Tomo. He doesn't talk. But once we got into a five-set match and you're tapping into his IQ, he, he can just see the tennis court so well. He's 53 at the moment. He's been as high as about 43. He's as fit as anyone going around. To get to the next level, though, you know, it's tough. We know that. There's a lot of hurdles to climb. And it's no disgrace to be in the 40s and 50s in men's professional tennis. If you're a legitimate player. But what, what do you see for him to get a step further? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and like you said, he's got so many great traits, so many great characteristics. You know, he's got a great serve when it's on. He's got a good forehand when it's on. Um, solid off the backhand wing. But for me, the, the forehand breaks down a little bit too often. Um, and it's the one shot in men's tennis you've got to have as your weapon and, and it needs to pop and it needs to not come back. And you look at the Dominic team today and even Zverev when he was at his best, very, very hard to break those guys down when they're playing the way that they did today. And the ball speed, as Shane said, the ball speed is just insane. Now, can Tomo hit that ball speed? Maybe not, probably not at this, not at this stage. And it does break down. And I, and I noticed that against Kukushkin where he got through the match, but he was so tentative on the forehand side. And he just scrapes, he wins the match in, in straight, but he scrapes through playing the way he did. Very tight, very nervous. Um, you know, wasn't, you know, releasing the forehand. Goes to the next match and that's what broke, broke down. And it just wasn't at the level that it needed to be. So, you know, for me, it's the serve and the forehand in men's tennis. He's got the endurance. He's got, you know, that grit. But does he have the weapons to be able to take it to a top 20 level? It's it's a tough one for him. I hope so because I love I love Tomo. He's a fantastic guy, and we all hope that he can do it. So you know, fingers crossed, he can start to do a little bit more of that in the future. Chorich and uh, Thompson were sort of both described going into that match. You know, they're both workmanlike. That, that's sort of the tag that was associated. But Chorich's workmanlike is at another level to Tomo's workmanlike. So yeah, the small margins of just being able to go somewhere. It's a fifty-two week sort of season, and and it's on a number of different surfaces. So I think. Fantastic, I think, hard court player, and I think he's quite quite solid on grass. But there, the, there are tournaments on clay where you can get your points and get that ranking a little bit higher. So, if you can just maximise on, I suppose, his weaker surfaces and get himself to a thirty, you know, get himself seated, he, he does get a little bit more of a, a cushy rider maybe early on in slams. Fingers crossed, because he's putting in the hard work, no doubt. Shane, for you, just the last uh, fortnight, what'd you take out of it? Yeah, I mean, hard to go past. I think the the, the Novak incident that was completely. Out of the blue. Uh, I mean, it'd been building up. That he, he certainly uh, felt, even in since he, he was a bit edgy and getting angry quite quite quickly. But uh, yeah, I don't think anyone would have picked that that to happen. Thought Tsitsipas would have um, maybe gotten himself a little bit further. Medvedev and team, I, I had picked very early on that that that, will, that would be the semi final and 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 team winning it. I think was fantastic and um, and yeah, great. Like Mark said, at an event like that, they were able to put that together. It really probably gives a bit of confidence now to to the Australian Open when they're thinking about uh, slightly different but a bubble sort of approach. Um, I'm still on the fence if the French Open having fans is a good 
idea, but yeah, I think at least a big event's been uh, put together well. Yeah, look at the men's side of things with our Crunching the Numbers podcast team. Mark Safoulis from the Tennis Menu and Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics are going to rejoin me after the break to continue the discussion. All thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. Visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au right now and first serve listeners can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10, FIRSTSERVE10. Plenty to come on the First Serve, your home of tennis. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. Great to have you with us on this week's edition of the First Serve. Brett Phillips with you, pulling apart the 2020 US Open. Well, we've taken a good look at today's men's final with Mark Safoulis and Shane Leonage, who host our weekly podcast, Crunching the Numbers, here at the First Serve. Let's focus on the women's draw and the win by Naomi Osaka with the guys, but I also popped in a question about live Hawkeye. Yes? No? Ongoing? Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan, absolutely. And I, I know the uh, the technician down uh, on the other side, uh, Shano, loves that sort of stuff. So he's he's gunning for it because um, he gets more numbers and, and better numbers and more accuracy. So, But, yeah, I think it worked really well. And, obviously, you know, if we can take away that human error, then why not? Yeah, look, it's faster. Um, people get on with it a lot quicker. It just doesn't um, yeah, bring in the, the delay that we get with... Uh, um, a normal, normal sort of challenge system. Yeah, I love it too. I first saw it in Milan at the next gen. I thought it was great. Clean court. I'm not trying to do lines people out of a job, but I think uh, if you can get it right, absolutely. Let's move on to the women. Naomi Osaka, for me, just watching the last fortnight, looked the most likely to win the tournament. She's had so many different coaches. We know Wim Facet's come in now, who's coached so many players on the tour. She she looked in really good physical condition. I think she'd done a, a fair training block in Los Angeles before she went across to New York, but she was in a bit of a pickle early in that final. Azarenko, as we know, if she's on early, she's hard to stop. How did you see the comeback and, and just the evolution of Naomi Osaka across the last fortnight. Yeah, the uh, the motionless female athlete she is. She just gives you nothing on the court, and obviously in interviews you'd have to interview her VP. But Wim is is a great coach, and she's got Yutaka Nakamura also from a physical perspective, who's worked with so many players on the tour. So she's got nothing but the best team there. Um, she's obviously a player who is probably possessing more weapons than anyone on the tour and has another level to everybody else. And obviously she talked a lot about her attitude and she talks a lot about that um, in a lot of interviews and I've heard her in the past talk about that's been the one thing that's let her down and it just didn't let her down at all in this tournament. She just showed so much grit, uh, so much resilience every time that she was sort of back against the wall in any match that she played. And, you know, even in the first round when she wins in three sets against, you know, a fellow Japanese player is, for her, it would have been a real mental battle because it's a real challenge playing against someone who is ranked below you and from the same country. It's obviously quite challenging. But, you know, her game has just gone to new levels. At 22, to be th- a three-time Grand Slam winner, you know, I can see her doing some pretty big damage in the future. And with Serena sort of coming towards the end of her career, and you've obviously got Azarenka's sort of at the back end of her career, and you look at Kim Kleiss is coming back, she's at the back end of her career. And the best players, obviously, in the female game 
uh, the older players that are probably backing out of the out of the tour, and she's going to be left at the age of 22 with you know not many players that are probably capable of matching her power and her her ability physically on the court. So I think she's got a really bright future and someone who's going to win more Grand Slams to come. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, yeah, I am spot on in terms of what Mark said. I I, I liked uh, the confidence um, um, that she had with. I think she prepared seven masks uh, with names. So I think she um, was was confident that she she had the game to get to the final. Um, on on Naomi, I think four or five years ago, uh, and I remember looking um, at some of the the data on her. She her ball speed was very close to Serena, but mm-hmm. the biggest deficiency in her game was the movement. She she was just not able to get to enough balls. That the longer the rally went, she had a very low percentage of winning. Um, I think. Um, she did a lot of work, and, and, and in the years that she won the two slams, um, her, her movement was good, but it's actually even better now. So, yeah, she's only going to get better, and I think she, she... I wouldn't be surprised she ends up winning 10 slams. No, that's a good point. I, she's a fascinating figure. There's no doubt about that. And I think around all big athletes, there's always some mystery. Everyone's been salivating about Kathy Freeman across uh, the weekend and her run at the Olympics uh, 20 years ago, and there's still the mystery around Kathy Freeman, that she was never one that wanted the spotlight... She shy, still shy, even post her athletics career. And we still don't quite know Kathy Freeman. And you feel like with Naomi and from our point of view, I mean, yes, we'd love a little bit more in interviews, love her to articulate her thoughts a bit more, but you also love the shyness and the rawness. And it seems to be fairly authentic uh, from the outside looking in. But yeah, I think certainly, Sean, I agree. The movement, I think when she was going through that losing streak, it just seemed really predictable about how to sort of expose. And she didn't seem to have a plan B and she'd have these sort of little mental breakdowns, but she seems to have got the head and the game sort of together when you get those two together as you two know and you can articulate this better than I can she's going to be hard to stop yeah absolutely and the, the peak age for female players is between 22 and 25 and like you know she's she's just coming into that prime of her career which you know right now she's already got three slams and as Shane said she could get 10 and possibly more slams if she keeps going the way she is her movement's better uh, her mindset you know she's calmer under the pressure you know she's not just smacking the ball like she did early in her career and that was probably where she won her first grand slam is by just hitting the absolute cover off the ball now she's got some thought process behind it which has actually made her you know twice as hard to beat and defending better like you said Shane I think from a movement perspective you know if you can defend and make the player play an extra ball especially in women's tennis there's a lot more errors that can be drawn out from that. I suppose the other standout on the women's side, which is a good story, and that's Jennifer Brady. So she goes through the college system. She's developed a little bit later, 25 years of age. She sits today at 25 in the world. Obviously, we can see the power there. She's got the intensity. It's another level when you go up against an Osaka down the stretch of that match. Did a great job to take a set, but then you, you can sort of see where the gap is as we got into that final set. But she's one that uh, is probably a good story for a lot of female players who burst onto the scene really young and early, want that success, want to be able to hang their head on something that if you just sort of build and build and build, you can get there at some stage if you do all the hard work. And I like the quote associated with her during the tournament that she was prepared to accept excellence. So once she got her head to a different space, I actually want to be a great professional tennis player, not just be making up the numbers, traveling around the world, winning a few matches here and there. And that's huge, isn't it? To get to that next level. Absolutely. And that's the, the college system for me is now one of the best pathways, I think, for any player, male or female, because it, it gives you an opportunity to, to mature physically and mentally, it gives you an opportunity to save some money to be able to travel, it gives you an opportunity to play a lot of matches and actually hone your craft as Jennifer Brady did. And that's the path that I think is, is going to be down the track. Probably one of the most popular is going through a college system. And, you know, Jennifer Brady's done that. She's 
taken her time to get there. But when she's got there, gee, she's making an impact. And, you know, that forehand on the clay is going to be even better because she has so much more time to wind it up and absolutely let rip. Now, she's probably got one of the biggest forehands I've ever seen when she got time. Wowee, she can hit a ball and, and that serve as well. Anyone that possesses weapons, a serve and a forehand the way she does is going to be pretty good and going to be pretty good for a long period of time, Shane. Yeah, absolutely. I think best kick serve since maybe Sam Stoza's, I think, um, that I've seen. And in terms of the the, the, the forehand, the revolutions are uh, significantly higher than in anyone else on, on the WTA. So, yeah, look out. Uh, if she's able to play like that on arguably the quickest US Open court we've seen for, for a decade, uh, watch out when she's got some time on that forehand. Hey, Shane, you were doing a bit of work with Ons Shabor, of course, who got through to play Kennan, and it was a, a pretty competitive match from the first set tie break in that what did you sort of take out of it just in liaising with her camp yeah yeah uh, look um it's a bit strange that the relationship started at the start of the year and 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 there we were sort of sitting down um in melbourne for those matches but since then it's they've been traveling and i've been based in melbourne so uh, everything's kind of the same in that sense i, I think uh, the relationship's a lot better in in that they, they're trusting more of the work they've seen seen it for a few tournaments we've had some good results um in terms of the match with Kennan, it was actually the second time that we got to play this year so in melbourne lost the quarterfinals and in you know i suppose uh it wasn't completely one-sided but i think the result this time was a little bit closer she's uh, had a bad run i think over the last two three years she's lost to Kennan four, four times so Positive in the sense I feel like it's in the right direction, but it just shows, I think, the next level. So the Kennans in the top 10s, they've got another level to be able to change their game if something's not going right. And that's that's where I think Ons has to um, sort of work on a little bit more. Um, and similar to, to Tomo, I think she's now in the clay court season. Traditionally, not, not a surface she enjoys a lot. So um, with that, there's an opportunity. I think she can uh, improve her game and, and get her ranking higher on, on a surface that she's um, not traditionally done well. So big focus for us now. Good story. Another good story, man. But just to wrap up, guys, it's it's tough out there, isn't it? I mean, this is a, a true global sport. We've got so many countries represented with players now that weren't really a feature of the game going back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's tough to win a match, whatever level, whether it's at the ITF, WTA, the lower levels, up to the Grand Slams. And you've got to have some things that uh, set you apart. And it'd be great to be inside all the camps of these players, just to see the difference between what the good players do to get them to another level. Obviously, talent's a huge uh, part of that, but all the little the little bits and pieces. But great to have some tennis back. I think we all agree with that. And the fact we're going to have another Grand Slam on our doorstep in two weeks, we're, uh, let's just lap it up. Absolutely. It was a, a great tournament. And yeah, looking forward to... Hopefully the French Open being uh, obviously something that's not going to be too controversial with the uh, with the, the protocols that they've got in place for their fans. But yeah, looking forward to seeing the French Open. Hopefully it's a, a really good stepping stone to the Australian Open. Hopefully it can be held in January, which I think would be amazing for, for Australians to, to have it on our doorstep. Great to have an expanded chat with our high-performance coach Mark Safoulis from the Tennis Menu and data analyst Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics joining me to wrap up the 2020 US Open. They have been presenting our crunchy the Numbers podcast, as I've mentioned on the show tonight all year. Subscribe to The First Serve via your preferred podcast provider. You can listen back to all their podcasts, the guys with different themes every week right through 2020. You can also find them on our website, thefirstserve.com.au and head to the Crunching the Numbers 
podcast page, another big episode will be dropping a little bit later on this week. Well, starting from Scratched Off a Premium Glass Repair, they do specialise in the removal of window scratches. Head to their website, starting from scratched.com.au. Back to wrap up the first serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com Back to wrap up the show. Bad luck for Dylan Alcott uh, falling short in the quad wheelchair singles final at the US Open, but he and Great Britain's Andy Lapthorne did salute in the doubles. Uh, Eugenie Bouchard, remember her? When she was world number five, she came out of the wilderness to make the Istanbul WTA final over the weekend, back to 163 in the world. All eyes are going to turn to Rome this week for the Italian Open. Rafael Nadal returning for his first hit in a long time, so keen to see how Rafa hits the clay. Aussies Milman and Demonor and Tom Lenovich in the men's and the women's draw. Craig Tizer, Ash Barty's coach, will join us on the show next week to explain the decision not to go and defend her French Open title. Thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. Hit them up at tennisdirect.com.au right now. And a 10% discount, remember, for all First Serve listeners, just punch in the code FIRSTSERVE10. 100 words, a network of active local communities. Their aim is to improve men's mental health. They're a great partner of ours and reduce male suicides check out their great work at 100words.com.au us open done french open in a couple of weeks we'll be back to do it all again next week on the first serve g'day mike hussey here get on board australia's best fantasy cricket game kfc supercoach bbl it's fun free and easy to play play today at supercoach.com.au t's and c's apply new south wales authorization number tp slash 01005